But you, O Lord, are gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and full of kindness and truth. You, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a theme running through all of the readings this morning that those words from Psalm 86 beautifully capture. You, O Lord, are gracious and full of compassion. You have helped me and have comforted me. I wonder if you noticed this theme too. First, in Isaiah, a word to the people of Israel in exile. Thus says the Lord, I am the first and the last. Do not fear or be afraid. Is there any other God besides me? There is no other rock. And then in Romans, St. Paul writing to those early Christians living as a persecuted minority in that cosmopolitan city, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For in hope we were saved. And in St. Matthew's Gospel, in another of Jesus' agricultural parables that seems to warrant further explanation, just like the parable of the sower last week, we find wheat and weeds. And we're told, don't worry, I've got this. The weeds won't hurt the wheat. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Prophecy, an encouraging letter, a parable, and, and indeed that beautiful psalm, all words of comfort, of consolation, of promise. And indeed, a concise summary, really, of the truth that all scripture bears witness to, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the hope of a new heaven and a new earth promised in his life, death, and resurrection. That's what we're given this morning. Have you ever had anyone look you in the eye and tell you that everything was going to be okay? Maybe a parent or a friend or a partner. And maybe you believed them and maybe you didn't. And maybe everything was okay and maybe it wasn't. I wonder how words of consolation are falling on your ears these days these days when it feels a little risky to hope. To hope that this virus will soon be gone. To hope that the infection rate and death toll will start to decline. To hope that there's a way through the lost income and unemployment and the crippling anxiety about the future to hope that governments and police departments will finally listen to communities of color that bear the brunt of state violence, to hope 
that white supremacy and poverty and segregation will one day, if not in our lifetime, be eradicated. To hope for justice. Is this risky or foolish or naive? Dare we hope for these things? Dare we believe these words of scripture? Do not fear. I am the first and the last. In hope, we were saved. These words were all written to people who were having a really hard time, frankly. The first audiences of scripture lived in times and places that were no strangers to violence and hunger, plague, economic hardship, oppression, political instability. The word of God in scripture comes to us from such places. Much of the Old Testament was written for and by a people oppressed and exiled from their homeland, from the land that God had promised to give them. And the entire New Testament was written under the shadow of an empire. And in those circumstances and into those circumstances, God brought words of hope and comfort to his people and by the grace of God, those words come to us too today in our circumstances. Dare we listen, dare we believe. I wonder what it would look like to live with this kind of hope today. How do we practice hope? Surely it doesn't look like cramming as much of us as possible into a church building and proclaiming that if we just trust God enough, then none of us will get sick. And surely it doesn't look like being content with a political and social status quo that says, well, everything works for me, so surely it does for everyone else. And if not, well, surely things will get better one day without much change or discomfort to me. Maybe we're tired of words of hope because that's so often what peddles for hope. Something, dare we say, ignorant or even selfish. But the hope that Paul wrote to the Romans about has a different quality, I think. Let's hear it again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
Hope for Paul is not a foolish optimism. Hope for Paul is groaning, groaning with all creation. And if we skip ahead a few verses to what we'll hear next week, we hear that it's groaning with the spirit of God itself too. God groans with us. Hope for Paul believes in the glory about to be revealed to us, that promised kingdom of peace and justice and reconciliation, but it acknowledges the suffering now. It's a hope built not of ignorance or selfishness, but of solidarity with all creation, solidarity with the sick and dying, solidarity with the poor and oppressed, with the incarcerated, with the beaten, with the pepper sprayed. British Bishop and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says that that kind of hope is the calling of Christians in a time like this, to groan and lament with our neighbors, to magnify the voices of the sick and the dying, the unemployed, the neglected, to join our voices with theirs, crying out to God in lament. Wright says that out of the lament of God's people, new possibilities can and do emerge. Filled with the Holy Spirit, we can be witnesses to the pain of the world, not by explaining it away or ignoring it, but by running toward it, by feeding the hungry, by caring for the sick, by demanding justice for the oppressed, by announcing the kingdom, we can claim that true hope that comes not from well-meaning comforters or from nervous politicians eager to please, but from the one who came to live among us, from the word made flesh, the one who made that ultimate act of solidarity, the atoning death of Jesus on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And by claiming that hope, we can proclaim it and participate in it, share it in our deeds as we've always done at our best. It's a hope that propels us forward, trusting in a God who looks a lot less like a genie in a bottle and more like a man on a cross. Trusting in a God that says, I am the first and the last. Do not be afraid. Let us join together in this act of hope as we pray through lament, as we lift the cries of all creation to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit that groans with us. And in going out and doing the work that he has given us to do, let us groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.